it actually alleviates a lot of stress because in a regular restaurant where you're kind of waiting for uh, front of house members to run the food, as soon as the food is ready for us, we can just take it to the table, explain it, answer all of the questions about it, all, all of the dishes, because you know, we spend all day making the food. It is that time of year, awards season. The Age Good Food Guide will be out on November 15. And one of the most watched awards is that of Young Chef of the Year. Today, we are speaking to one of the finalists in this really prestigious and sometimes life-changing um, part of the Good Food Guide. Uh, Cameron Tay Yap is the head chef at Amaru. Cam, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks for having me. What does it mean to you to be named uh, one of the Young Chefs of the Year and the finalists in this, in this competition? Well, I mean, I'm very honoured and um, flattered to be uh, part of um, the awards and it's really great to be uh, nominated and made it to the finals. Um, I guess I'm very nervous at the moment, um, but it's been amazing. I guess it's very affirming um, and nice to be uh, recognised after uh, going on this journey from a very young age, but it's been really good. Yeah, well, from my perspective, whatever happens, I mean, it's, it's already a great success. I think you should be so proud and don't be nervous. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't lose, honestly. Yeah, it's just like competitiveness, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, I'd love to talk about that, and but let's frame it by a discussion of you as a chef and how you got into cooking. I, I followed your career for, for a while, even though you're only, are you 25? I am. Okay, yeah. so you're only 25, but I feel like I've been following your career for years. Um, tell me how it all started for you. Well, um, I guess it started when I was in high school. So I went to school, I went to Melbourne High, which is a typically, I guess, more um, the, I guess, the journey that most kids go through from that school is to go to uni and then uh, pursue a uh, uh, a career in um, offices, I suppose. Um, but I guess I was very torn um, from a lot of influences, like growing up in a uh, very typically um, Chinese Malaysian household. My mom uh, just wanted the best for me, and uh, I guess I was getting pushed to pursue a, a, a different career. So I was um, I kind of torn between going to uni to do law or I guess following this new found passion of cooking um, which is uh, two very opposite sides of the uh, professional spectrum I guess. Yeah well and uh, you know as a good Asian kid with a mom who saw a different path for you I know that was a real challenge to strike out in a different direction but I mean what was it about food that lit you up like why were you even interested in pursuing that as a, as a career? Um, well I in high school we did a, a hospitality um, course which was one of my VC subjects uh, one of the assignments was to look into a couple of different restaurants and to write about them and lucky me I, uh, I somehow um, found a restaurant called Alinea, um, and I was writing about it and researching it, and I was 
I guess for the first time exposed to the idea and the philosophy of food being able to play a more of a emotional sort of a, um, part in, uh, in an overall experience, not just, I guess, providing sustenance and nutrition. Um, so seeing that kind of blew my mind a little bit and I fell down this rabbit hole and kept going and going and going and I guess here I am, you know. <laughs> it's really amazing. So my good friend and someone that's been important in your life, Caroline Velick, an amazing Melbourne food stylist, she had um, a kid at Melbourne High as well. Can you tell me how she came into your life? Well, uh, yeah, in year 12, we did a mother-son brunch. And I, at that time, I guess I was most confused about what I wanted to do still. I was... Um, really 50-50 and um, Caroline was pull it, putting off this uh, uh, mother-son brunch and uh, I decided that I would volunteer to help and um, yeah, I was the only other kid that was uh, helping out for this uh, brunch and she appreciated it and we started chatting and she um, we, we spoke about uh, this decision and she asked if I wanted to take a day off to come and help her out in the studio where she was uh, shooting for um, Hessen Blumenthal's um, Coles range. So I did that and um, got to meet Heston as a young kid and that was, that was, pretty, that was pretty cool. Um, and we chatted some more. Um, so between... Caroline and uh, Kath um, Claringbold at uh, Birch and Purchase. So they both were uh, big influences in me choosing to go on this journey. Um, they gave us or gave me a lot of opportunities and uh, spoke a lot of uh, wisdom into me, which was uh, really pivotal in making this decision. But um, yeah, they've, they've both been amazing. It's so interesting you know the, the the path can be so random just encountering a particular person at a particular time can be uh can be so course altering um so cam you know so you I can't believe that you met Heston when you were at school. I mean, that must have just been pretty crazy. Tell me the journey with you and your mom. Like, how did you have to sell it to her over and over again? Was she was she just like in a crisis about it? Like, what was it like? Well, the first couple of years is always, I guess, challenging. It's always very unknown waters. So, um, typically. Um, well, the way that she's been brought up, you know, cooking isn't, I guess, a, uh, a real viable career choice, you know, um, cooks in uh, Malaysia, uh, where she was brought up tend to be like hawker, hawker halls or like, you know, just like, um, you the, the idea is that you're just, uh, one of the other people trying to make a living it's not really like you're going to thrive and and really uh go very far um so in that respect uh, there was a lot of fear behind um behind the uh decision and mom just wanted what was best for me wanted me to have a nice future so she she still wasn't sure of anything um but I decided to work hard. I went to William Angles um, for a little while before 
just being full-time at Attica, um, which started off as a uh, summer internship and then I guess became my life for four and a half years. Um, but uh, yeah, at the start, you know, had to continuously convince her that this was what I wanted to do. I mean, she, she was always very supportive. She would um, drive to Attica in the middle of the night, uh, sleep in the car, and she would wait for me to finish work. Um, and then she would uh, drive me home or let me drive just to make sure that I get all my hours on my L's. Um, so in that respect, I mean, she's always been super supportive, um, just fearful at the start, but when she sees that, you know, I was working very hard and I was very passionate and I was very lucky to have a lot of great um, mentors and uh, and people in my life who are playing a, uh, I guess, a role model sort of uh, position. Um, so she was very happy and thankful for all of that. And eventually she's kind of just now accepted it and she's just uh, – appreciative to be able to be on the journey with me, which is something that I'm also very thankful for. Did you have any doubts yourself about the path that you'd chosen? Absolutely. Absolutely. At the start, it's like, you know, everyone from my friends to family that I was uh, growing up with, uh, all gone in a different direction, um, a more, I guess, a standard route. So for me, it was like, well, this has to work. This has, I have to succeed. Otherwise, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, well, you never really want to fail, but, um, it was definitely this whole, well, I got to set a good example for my younger brother. I have to, you know, work hard so that I can show everyone in my family that this is, uh, you know, I, w I wasn't wrong to pursue this. And it was, a. Uh, I, I guess that competitiveness in, in me came out as well to really prove everyone wrong that this was a good decision, this was, you know, um, that I'm not taking a, inverted commas like a, a, an easy way out. Um, and, yeah, so far I think, I think it's been going well. Well, to be head chef at Amaru, a, you know, exquisite fine dining restaurant at such a young age is certainly testament to your effort, talent and commitment. I mean, you know, at, you're, still, you're still young, there's still so much ahead of you, but how do you reflect on where the path has taken you so far? Um, I'm very thankful for, you know, all the people who have been in my life from uh, Ben and Matt and Attica you know, I've been surrounded by great role models and uh, lots of different uh, people who I'm thankful to call, I guess, mentors, and we catch up quite often. Um, and uh, I guess I'm very blessed to be in the position that I am in. And I, I know it's like kind of almost unheard of to be this young at, um, and in this position. So I'm very thankful that Clinton is. Um, given me this opportunity to and put his trust in me to, you know, not burn the restaurant down. And, um, I mean, I've got very great supportive people, like my partner Trish and my mom, who, you know, without any of them, it would have been a very different story. I probably 
won't be where I am, to be honest. So tell us about the project at Amaru. So Clinton McIver is the owner and the chef of the restaurant. He's he's trusted you to not burn down the kitchen. Um, tell me what tell me what you know the week is like there. What kind of food are you guys putting up? Well, we are open uh, Tuesday till Saturday, um, with lunch and dinner on Friday and Saturdays. Uh, we do a tasting menu only, um, with the option of a slightly reduced menu for lunch on Friday and Saturday. But uh, we're looking at four snacks, seven courses, and a couple of petty fours. So it's, I guess, a, f- a full tasting. It's almost like a journey or an expression of what we think is nice at the moment, what's, seasonable, what's seasonal and, um, and uh, delicious. Um, we're still trying to use up a lot of uh, native ingredients and, I guess, represent them and express them in our own way um but uh yeah i guess it's a little bit more experimental and um flavor driven uh but so far i've really enjoyed working with clinton i think we work quite well together i like the uh the setup of amaru it's uh, small and intimate but um I, I, one thing I really love about Amaru is that there's no divide between the front and back of house. So all of the chefs, we take all the food out to the guests and we can explain all of the food. We're starting to learn about uh, pouring wines and uh, we'll be pouring wine at the uh, chef's experience very soon. Um, and that's something I don't think I've ever seen in any other restaurant. Um, but in that respect, it, it it's it's really great for our kitchen culture for the um, front and back to not be separated at all, um, and it guess it leaves the front of house guys to really focus on providing excellent service, um, doing what they're great at, at you know pouring the wines, really connecting with guests, making them feel at home, and then from um, from a kitchen point of view it actually alleviates a lot of stress because in a regular restaurant where you're kind of waiting for uh, front of house members to run the food, as soon as the food is ready for us, we can just take it to the table, explain it, answer all of the questions about it, all, all of the dishes because you know, we spend all day making the food. So, of course, for me, I think the, the kitchen is always going to know a little bit more about the dishes and the, the front of house have a bit more of a connection with the food. And it breaks down that barrier that the guests have with with generally a closed kitchen. What's a dish that you love taking out to a to a table? You know, that perhaps one that you get lots of interested questions about, and people just love eating. Um, something that I really like at the moment is the the second dessert on the menu. So it is a uh, an ice cream made from house made brioche. Um, with uh, seasonal citrus marmalade, as well as a jam made from Davidson plums and blackberries, and then a caramel, which is poured tableside, made from all of our um, sourdough scraps. So I think the dish is really great because it minimizes a lot of the food waste in the in the restaurant, or it actually, um, I guess, maximizes it. I mean, we're using up all of our food waste and repurposing it um and 
I guess it's something that we are trying our best to continue doing. Um, so I think it's interesting, it's delicious, and it is also sustainable. So that kind of ticks all the boxes for me. Yeah, and I've been lucky enough to eat that dish and it is absolutely delicious. And I'd say to, to, yeah, it's so good. I'd say to look at, it's one of the more understated dishes. Like it, it's a bit of a slow reveal, isn't it? Like you sort of got to, yeah, dig through the layers to find the treasures within that dish. Absolutely. I mean, looking at it, it looks quite simple. Um, it is like very minimalistic. It, it looks like two or three elements on a plate, but I guess as you continue digging through it, it, you find a couple more elements and they all work quite well. And for me, it's also kind of nice because it's for me, it's like almost reminiscent of like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, just in a different way, I guess. So Cam, you're up for Young Chef of the Year, but you're also a leader. You're leading the team there at Amaru as, as head chef. What's that like? And and what do you see, you know, from your great advantage of age of the of the younger generation that's coming up? Um, yeah, I mean, being in this role is still, I guess, new for me, and it's something that I'm um, definitely working on. Um, but at Amaruba, I guess the kitchen especially, we have quite a young team. Um, it's pretty crazy that I'm maybe one of the oldest in there at the moment. But uh, look, we're, we're also very lucky to have a young team of very passionate individuals. Um, we have a couple of uh, young apprentices and they're doing an absolutely great job. And they're super hungry and super passionate about what they're doing. So... Uh, in the role that I'm currently in, you know, uh, you have to keep fueling this uh, this passion that uh, the young people are showing um, and really supporting them. Like uh, our apprentice, Ryan, he just did a uh, pop-up uh, three weeks ago and it was great. It was great to see him, you know, step out and really do his own thing. And I mean... A lot of the uh, staff at Amber, we were very uh, happy to raise a hand and help out. Um, just there as a supporting role. It was literally just there to make sure that things run smoothly for him and that he could continue doing these things. You know, it really benefits everyone for him to continue trying new things and um, keep experimenting, keep trying, keep. I guess, uh, building on himself, which was great. Um, and it, it's, it's really, uh, flattering to see him do things that, you know, that we are teaching him, um, whether it's in techniques or the way that things are set up, it's, it's, uh, it put a smile on my face. That's for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, we have a very young team. Uh, I think something that's, I'm still working on is um, really stepping more into that mentoring and teaching role. Um, something that's still a little bit new to me, but I'm, you know, I understand that it is also part of the uh, part of the part of the job and the journey. Um, and I think looking back, it's kind of 
surreal that I'm in that sort of uh, role because I always look back on my mentors and uh, people that I was surrounded with and it's almost weird to be that person now. <laughs> that's great. So let's talk more about pop-ups because that's where I first ate your food was at pop-ups that you did over the years and yet um, you know other of the young chefs that are up against you in the Good Food Guide Awards are doing pop-ups as well. So Savni Krishnan alongside Sriram Aditya Suresh um, do their Saadi pop-up, which I'm very excited to try soon. So it's obviously a way that that young, keen, ambitious chefs can showcase what they're doing, try out, you know, being in charge of a service and a menu. T- tell us about your um, experience with pop-ups and what you think you've got out of them. Well... I've done a lot now. So my first one I did when I just turned 18 um, and I first started them because we had just moved house and we were no longer able to do dinner parties just because our our kitchen just wasn't you know up for it. And when mum told me that we couldn't do the, these dinner parties, I'd said, well, okay, then I'm just going to do a pop-up. And instead of a dinner party for 10 people, I'll do it for 40, 50 people. And uh, it was that real competitive and determined sort of uh, spirit which I went in with. I didn't really think about the logistics of anything. Um, and, you know, the first one's never, well, it was looking back, uh, horrible. Um, <laughs> but it, it makes you learn really quickly, you know. And at a young age, at 18, having to think about, a menu, thinking about staff, thinking about front of house, you know, thinking about bookings and the whole, I guess, experience of it, you, you start learning really quickly. So then I was doing maybe three or four a year with the goal that each time that you do one, you're going to improve on lots of things, whether it's the the kitchen setup or the, um, you know, every time we did it, we will do a completely new menu. Uh, redesign the menu um, and keep adding to it. So now, after God knows how many, maybe like 14 pop-ups, I have a, a, a stack of plates, cutlery and napkins and everything. And um, I'm still learning every single time. You know, you're learning all kinds of different stuff. Um, and it's great, you know. It's definitely made you grow or made me grow really quickly into this role and I guess um, to a degree that's uh, led to me being in the position that I'm in um, but it's uh, it's like a, a test run for the real thing you know because you're only doing it for one or two nights but you really have to organize everything. Yeah that's so interesting isn't it because I guess when you're running a restaurant, like consistency is, I reckon, the most important thing, like that you have something you're going for and you, and you can continue to achieve it. But I guess with a pop-up, it's like you're just like leaping to the top of the mountain and then just jumping off and packing away all your gear till next time. It's such a it's such a kind of thrill ride, isn't it? Oh, um, uh, yeah, let's say thrill, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot to do and to just – for one night because it's this whole build up, you know, you're 
spending your nights after work at home, prepping, getting things organized, you know, getting all your plates, your crockery, getting all of that ready, organizing the bookings, doing the layout. So in a way, being at work is a lot easier because you're focusing on that one thing, whether it's running a section or running the kitchen, but you're not having to look at the whole picture. So when you're doing the pop-ups, you have everything on your plate now. And it de- depending on whether it's a collaboration or just off your own back, it's it's uh, it can be quite a lot. Yeah. And then the next time you do it, you just leap straight to the top of the next mountain. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Cam, I guess one of the things that you need to really think about when you're a head chef is is costs. And it's such a huge conversation in hospitality. I mean, always, but I feel like now more than ever, or perhaps people are just being more open about it and how difficult it is. From your perspective, you know, you're working in fine dining, but also I guess your experience with the pop-ups. What what do you, you know, what do you, where do you see costs going? Like, are menus just going to get more expensive? Are people going to like economize in other ways? Like where do you, where does it shake down for you? Um, I think it's interesting. I think people generally are finding more value in um, these experiences. Um, and people are always going to have events and things that they want to celebrate and uh, moments in the year where they want to splurge out. So I don't think, I think fine dining is always going to be one of those things that people are going to appreciate. Um, I think though that in Melbourne, perhaps the culture is a little bit more casual so kind of leaning towards like casual fine dining sort of thing but um i think people are still coming to grips with just the overall cost of everything you know vegetables meat fish everything everything costs money um and you know with everything that's been happening costs are just keep going up you know inflation keeps going up um and so I guess people need to be a little bit less surprised with, uh, with how much everything costs. Um, generally speaking, we, we don't have too many issues. Um, I think our current menu, realistically speaking, is quite reasonable. Um, I don't think uh, it's, it's, it's always, it's always uh, hard to say because from my point of view, when you're looking at the food costs and everything and you're like, oh yeah, when you break everything down, it actually doesn't really cost a lot. You know, you can go to an a la carte restaurant and, and have a big spread and probably build a bill that is uh, very similar. Um, but even, even when I was going out to eat at a young age, you know, you go to these tasting menus and it, it, comes when you book it it's uh i guess a little bit daunting because you see oh yep 250 dollars per person you're like oh that sounds like a lot of money but then you break it down into how many items you're getting and it's you know say you're having 10 or 12 items in a 13 items in a menu and if you just divide the overall cost between everything it's actually realistically quite reasonable um but yeah, definitely re- recently things just are starting to cost a lot more. And um, I think most restaurants, uh, it is a struggle to try and 
um, recost dishes without backlash from from the public. Um, but unfortunately, that's just how it is right now. You know, you have to pay the bills and pay the staff correctly, and um, it's just how it is. Yeah, yeah. So the tasting menu at Amaru. $250 or, or 200 for that lunch only version. Um, I guess it's all, it's all relative, isn't it? I was chatting to someone who operates a pizza restaurant uh, recently and she was telling me, you know, sometimes a bunch of basil was, was, came in at $10 and they were really rationing the leaves on the pizza, you know, like it's three leaves only per pizza. And you just think, well, if you don't want a pizza to cost $35, then that's the kind of stuff you need to think about. Or then, or maybe the pizza should be $35. But it's, um, I suppose there are these kind of considerations that have to be made all the time and, uh, and really day by day. So t- I guess, again, to yeah, but of course you can't change menu prices every day, especially in a restaurant like yours. So um, yeah, it's just it's it's really tricky. It's really yeah. It is tough. It is very tricky. Um, you know, it's funny. I think gone are the days where we would pay five dollars for a family style pizza. You know, it's it's uh, interesting to be able to be part of that sort of lifestyle ten years ago, and then also now it's completely different. Yeah. What about cancellations? How do you guys go with that? I know you've got a you've got a people have to um, leave a credit card with you to make a booking. But what are there many cancellations? Um, we used to get heaps with uh, COVID um, coming out of lockdowns and stuff, and with uh, COVID being quite rampant, you know, there was really nothing that we could do. You know, people were getting sick left and right and having to cancel and isolate. Um, so we were. Like with most restaurants, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't say, no, you can't cancel. If someone is truly sick and has to isolate, then that's, you know, what they have to do. But um, definitely, especially with tasting menus, when you're looking at cancelling, you know, the more notice that you give, the the better. So right now, I think our policy is uh, within 24 hours of your booking. So if you're cancelling within 24 hours, then um, they get charged. Um, or we are, they have the option of rebooking. So they use their, their existing booking as kind of like a credit and then they, uh, rebook for within two weeks later. Um, just looking from a functionality point of view in the kitchen, you know, we order and we cook everything based off our bookings because it is tasting menu. You kind of are given that sort of um, consistency so you know exactly how many of everything you need to prepare so when we're going from you know fully booked and then dropping a couple of tables and now suddenly we have all of this prepared food and items that I guess are going to waste because the tables haven't been filled it puts the restaurant back on on costings and and um, man hours really so that that's why the uh, the cancellation policies exist is to I guess give us some insurance or protect our our business. Mm, yeah, it's totally understandable. And I mean, in a small restaurant like Amaru's, which is you know all open, I, I just it mustn't feel nice to see empty tables out there. Absolutely, it's horrible. You know, I mean, 
we as much as um, as we can you know the the restaurant feeds off the energy of all of the uh, of, of the guests you know when you're the only table and in the uh, restaurant it can feel intimate but it can also feel like super quiet and super lonely um, compared to when the restaurant is completely full and there's a buzz and guests are chatting and you know you can feel the energy in, in the in the kitchen and the um, and the front of house and as much as we give uh, a lot of effort and energy and time to our guests I guess we also feed off that same energy from our guests you know it's that's why we do it is to be able to um, see the reactions being able to provide guests with that experience so when we when you're only I guess servicing two tables versus ten tables, it's it, the fun is uh, a, a little bit different as well. Yeah, for sure. Restaurants are such um, organisms, aren't they? With all the parts have to work together for it to be as yeah to hum like as as well as it can. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, well, it's. So great to have a chat to you. Um, yeah, I really love hearing you talk about what you what you do and, and the path that you've taken so far. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Um, not really. I think I think we covered covered everything. It was uh, really nice to be able to chat with you as always. Um, super nice to be able to talk about Amaru and you know talking about everything that we are doing at the moment, which is really great. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Good on you, Cam. Well, I'll see you at the awards and please just try not to be nervous because you really shouldn't be. It's so amazing to be there in, in the group and it's such a great list. So I think any one of you would be, would be worthy winners. Um, thank you. But yeah, I definitely wish you all, all the best. <laughs> okay well um thanks so much for taking the time i really appreciate it and thanks for beautiful food that you've fed me over the years always a pleasure okay here's to heaps more yeah definitely this is dirty linen and i'm danny valent we air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about hearing from different people with unique perspectives we want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.